episode 97 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to change your opinion about that game that you're pretty sure you're gonna hate but everybody else loves. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about how games can make a good or bad first impression. First, we discuss a couple of games we've played recently, like City of the Big Shoulders and Fantastic Factories. Then, we talk about how our opinions about games can be shaped or reshaped after we make a snap judgment about them. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word opinion. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. One quick announcement before we hop into the main episode. Our next episode is going to be the annual Blitzy Awards. Prepare yourselves. The Blitzies are coming. I hope you all are ready. I am excited. Uh, Lots of cool games happened in 2019, and we played some of them. Probably a very small percentage, technically. But So our next episode, be prepared. Our annual awards show. It is coming. I got a review copy of City of the Big Shoulders pretty soon before I gave birth, (laughs) which was not great timing, but (laughs) I was recently able to play it a couple times at two players over multiple sessions, so it's a long game. It's like two to three hours. Ideally, I wanted to play with more players because it's better with more players, but that won't be possible anytime soon, so I'm going to talk about it now. So City of the Big Shoulders was published in 2019, designed by Raymond Chandler III and published by Parallel Games. It takes two to three hours. It's for two to four players. Actually, someone online said they did a two-player game in under an hour. But I think wow. <laughs> like there's five rounds in the game. And one of the later rounds took like almost 30 minutes, I think, for one of my games. So I think it would be more 90 minutes to two hours because the later rounds take longer due to more actions. But I don't know if I could do it in under one hour. <laughs> and it would be more with more players, too. It would be like speed chess. You'd have to like, like, do, 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 bum, do, 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 bum. <laughs> so City of the Big Shoulders is a game that's been billed as like a mix between 18xx and Arkwright. So it has a stock market that's similar to an 18xx game where you buy and sell shares and then you start up companies by doing that. But then the way you run the companies is like an economic worker placement game. So you have these partners those are your meeples workers and you go on action spaces on the board and that's how you get workers for your factory and upgrade your factories and basically do everything that you need in order to run your companies and then the companies run in a different phase and they produce goods and then you sell them and then they go up the stock market so there's a lot of money changing hands which makes the game last longer so that's why it's a a long game, I think, and also a lot of actions. What I liked about it was the action phase. The way that works is right before the action phase, everyone has these buildings that they get to choose. So everyone chooses one building that they put on the board and the buildings are action spots. So if someone goes to an action spot, they usually have to, the company or something has to pay money. But if they go to the action spot that you placed, then they pay you money. So you get money for that. So when you're picking the action spaces that you want to put down on the board, you're thinking about, oh, do I want to use it? Or if I want someone else wants to use it because you're going to get rewarded for that. It reminded me kind of of Le Havre, which is a game, a worker placement game where you build buildings and other people can use those as action spaces and pay you to use them. So I like that because like just thinking about what you're putting down is interesting. Also, I liked that it was an engine building type feel. As the game got on, your companies got better and 
you made a lot of money and you use that money to get more companies and get more money. So I like that. And then there's planning ahead because you need to get specific resources in order to run your factories and have them produce goods and sell. But then there are things I disliked about it. The way the selling of the goods worked is there's these demand tiles on the board and those were randomly placed at the beginning of the game and then like they randomly refill. So I didn't really like that because it was just kind of random and I was comparing it to Arkwright in my head. And in Arkwright, the supply and demand is player driven. Like you can change the supply and demand and your quality and stuff to be like, I really like that part of Arkwright and it was lacking in City of the so Big felt, Shoulders. So maybe felt like you had a little less agency in yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the demand part was not interesting to me. Also, the way you get the resources is there's a track with like a $10 space, $20 space, and a $30 space with the resources on it. And so you can buy from any of the spaces and each one costs that much. But it only refills at the end of the turn if you took all of the pieces from that space. So the player who goes first can take all of them but one from the $10 space, and then the next player doesn't have that many choices. So you can deny the, the next player from getting the resources that they need. So it's possible that like the player who goes second isn't able to produce the goods, which makes it really hard because because it like builds up and then so the second player won't get any money and then they won't be able to like invest that money and then they'll just be behind or it feels like they're behind the whole time. So I didn't really like that. And then also the stock market didn't add anything for me. What I like about 18xx games is there's liabilities in the companies. So you can sell shares in dump companies on other people and that might be bad for them. But here, like the companies, there's no liability. So it's not bad really having shares in a company. So for me, the stock market just added time to the game, which makes it harder to play. So I wanted to like it, but with like the two to three hour time commitment, I would rather play Arkwright or an 18xx game because there are 18xx games that I can play in three hours and Arkwright is also like a three hour game, I think. Although I haven't played it in a while because of the time. But yeah, I I would rather play one of those games than City of the Big Shoulders. Although I did like the action phase of it. So I wish it was just like that part in a shorter game. Also, the rulebook and iconography is a little confusing, but I think they're working on a new printing. And I think Paul Grogan was going to be working on the rulebook. So it'll probably be better in the new version. I mean, I have to say, I'm just incredibly disappointed that a game called City of the Big Shoulders isn't about like a fashion design mecca in the 80s working on women's dresses with large shoulder pads because that's just what I when I hear City of the Big Shoulders I'm picturing like an 80s movie where every single dress has gigantic shoulder pads in it (laughs) well I guess I forgot to mention it's Chicago in um, after the Chicago fire there's like a poem in the front that that is was actually about the Chicago fire and rebuilding and then they say City of the Big Shoulders in that poem Oh, so, well now, see, now yeah. you've turned my joke. It was, it was about <laughs> something serious and now I seem dismissive and odd drat. <laughs> All right. So City of the Big Shoulders, not a big win. Yeah, I'm sad. But uh, other people like it, I think. And I also only played it at two players. It'll be better at mo- more players because of like the, the stock market and stuff. Those games are always better at more players, but I would not play it again at two players. <laughs> okay. 
I also wrote a blog post about it on our website, so you can check that out if you want to see pictures and read more about my thoughts. Awesome! Well, I... I, I gotta preface what I, my review of my game with a statement here. So occasionally I encounter a game that I feel I can't truly describe the magic of in an audio medium. And that is one of the problems I think of having a podcast is not all board games can be described well or clearly in an audio format. Uh, I think some of my favorite underrated games actually kind of fall into this category. Stuff like Medieval Academy or Order of the Gilded Compass, which I praise all the time. I can't describe why I enjoy them completely well in an audio format. This game is also one of those things. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be able to quantify how enjoyable the experience was, but I'm going to try. Fantastic Factories, published this year, 2020 by Deepwater Games, but originally published by Metafactory Games, has players competing to build efficient factories to produce goods. You acquire and construct blueprint cards, you hire contractors, you roll and place dice that represent your workers on your player board and on the factory cards that you've built to collect resources and run your factory. Honestly, all of that sounds super boring and not that <laughs> special. So if you started tuning me out, I get it. And I agree, because even as I'm saying it, it sounds boring. But stick with me here. I promise it's worth it. The gameplay in Fantastic Factories moves along lightning fast. There's two different phases. The, the first phase where you're taking turns in act in order, you just take a single card from two, one of two displays and it's very quick. Then the second phase is all simultaneous. So no matter how many players you're playing with, the second phase goes very quickly and there's almost no downtime at all. The mechanisms blend together seamlessly and everything just feels so smooth. Rather than encountering moments of, I can't do all the things I want, which is what I mentioned last episode in my review of Chocolate Factory, this game is populated by lots and lots of moments of, oh, I can do this, which will let me do that, which will let me do this, and oh my gosh, it's so delightful. I loved it so much. This game was super fun to play. I Just based on the theme and the mechanisms alone, I cannot convey to you how good this game is. I really can't. I had heard a decent amount of buzz about this game. Really, all I knew about it was a lot of people seemed to like it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about how the gameplay worked. I didn't know how long of a game it was. I didn't know the mechanisms. I knew nothing other than other people really like it. And that is the only reason I wanted to try it. And I am so glad I did. It is delightful. Deepwater Games uh, said that this game is going to be hitting store shelves on February 5th. So that is next week as of this episode releasing. And I am super excited for more people to discover this game. I would not be surprised if this turns into one of the bigger hits of like lightweight games in 2020. And if it doesn't, that's only because of what I said. It's hard to describe why this game is so good. I loved it. I loved it a lot. It involves a bunch of different things. You've got dice placement, you've got engine building, you've got card drafting, but it all just works together so well. I This was a big hit for me, a pleasant surprise. And I am very, very glad that I gave it a shot. I'm looking forward to playing it again in the near future as well. Yeah, I remember hearing a lot about this. I don't know. I feel like it was last year. There was a lot of buzz about it on Twitter or something. 
Yeah, I, 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 multiple people have been talking about yeah. it, but it's just now getting released from Deepwater Games, so I'm not 100% yeah, sure how wide of a release the original version got. I did yeah. look on BGG, and there were posts about it from 2017, mm-hmm. so I think it either was a small print run, or a, I don't know if maybe it was originally a Kickstarter or just an indie game company, but I'm very happy that it's getting wider distribution now. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so Amby, you had some impressions about City of the Big Shoulders based on your comparing it to other games. Mm-hmm. I had some first impressions about Fantastic Factories based on what I knew about it from other reviewers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it kind of reminded us that first impressions are kind of a big deal in board games. And I think they're becoming an even bigger deal as the board game market continues to grow. So that is what we are going to be discussing today is first impressions of games and how they affect us and our experiences with the games that we play. Yeah, as you mentioned with City of the Big Shoulders, like nowadays games need to make a really good first impression for me to keep wanting to play it because there's so many games out there and so many games that I've already played. Like I was saying that I'd rather play Arkwright or Nathan XX because those are games that I've already played and know I enjoy. So when I play a new game, I always compare it to all the other games that I've played. So it has to be stand out from it. And it's interesting because I feel like your first impression of a game often starts before you even play it. Mm -hmm. Like looking at the box cover or Mm -hmm. hearing other people talk about a thing or seeing other people play it, you may develop impressions about a game before you've even really experienced it at all. Yeah. And that has, at least for me personally, led me toward certain games and led me away from others. And I think that the marketability of a board game is something that a lot of companies are getting better at considering. Mm -hmm. You know, the theme the artwork, the name, there's a lot of aspects there that can turn people on or off depending on what you what decisions a company makes. Yeah, they're definitely getting better at marketing. Like I saw the Kickstarter video for something. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, so but <laughs> maybe it wasn't that great. No. Um, <laughs> so it was Christian Kang, he's on Twitter is he has a YouTube channel Take Your Chits that I don't know if he keeps updating, but he's been making like board game videos for marketing and he made this really nice Kickstarter video for some space game. Um, And it was like a very cinematic video and I watched it and it was really cool, but I don't like look at Kickstarters, so (laughs) I don't remember what the game was. (laughs) Do you think a video like that is more likely to make people back the game or is it just more likely to get people interested? Well, it probably gets people interested in like looking at the page, which would, and the page needs to have also conversions, I guess. But it gets people like looking at it, which the more people look at it, then the more people will buy it. Theoretically, that's true. <laughs> so, so yeah. But obviously, like you were saying at first, it's not just about those initial impressions before you've played it, but the first impression a game makes on you when you play it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and this can make or break a game theoretically. Like you could a really awesome game you could hate or a really horrible game you could love depending on a lot of different factors. Yeah. I think for me personally, in my time as a hobby board gamer, I have learned to become a little bit more thoughtful about my opinions on games the first time I play them. Mm -hmm. I think this podcast has a lot to do with that. I try to 
think a little bit more critically about why I like or dislike a game, uh, especially mm-hmm. if I plan on talking about it on the podcast. Yeah. But also because as I play more games in total, I have more things to compare it to. Like, it's kind of that whole thing, like, when people first get into the hobby and they play something like Catan or Ticket to Ride, which are really good games, they're kind of mind-blowing games for someone who's never played a hobby board game before. Mm -hmm. And so your impression of a thing can be shaped by the other things that you already have encountered or experienced. And that obviously is true in board games, like in other aspects of life. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened with me with City of the Big Shoulders. And I think nowadays, most of my first impressions don't really change if I play a game more than once. Like, I usually can tell if I like a game when I'm playing it the first time. And I try not to make an impression of the game before I play it, just like you, like, both for the podcast and because I want to give a game a chance because I might like it. But earlier there was one game that I didn't like on the first play and then I played it again and then I liked it. But this was like in 2013 because when I first played Android Netrunner, (laughs) we played it wrong. We played the wrong rules and we didn't really know what was going on and we didn't like it. But then we tried tried a few months later because our friend told us that it's a really good game and then we loved it. So that was like really early in the hobby though. And that was because we played the rules wrong. So if you play the rules wrong, that can make a really bad first impression. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that that's, there are a lot of factors like that, at least for me, that I think have affected my opinions of specific games. I think some notable ones for me, yeah, the rules being taught wrong can technically swing something either direction, either make it more enjoyable or less enjoyable, depending on what is taught wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be just the style of the person that's teaching a game. Even if they're, in theory, teaching the, the rules correctly, the way they teach a game, for me, can affect mm-hmm. my experience with it. Um, and there's other things, like maybe you're playing with the wrong player count, for instance. Like, even if City of the Big Shoulders allows for two players, maybe that isn't the ideal player count for that game. Therefore, yeah. your ex- your first impression is lessened because you're playing with not an ideal player count. Same thing for like the mood of the group you're playing with Mm -hmm. or what's going on in your own life personally. All of those things can factor into your experience with a game. And going back to the rule error thing, I don't know if I've discussed this on the podcast, but so I've, well, I know I've talked about how I did not enjoy Seventh Continent when I played it. And over the past couple of years, as more people have played Seventh Continent, pretty much universally, everybody likes it. And at a certain point, I was just kind of like, like, I thought I was going to love Seventh Continent. It seems made for me. The type of game it is, the style of game it is, what it involves. I feel like I was, I wanted to love it and it really came away not liking it. And then I found out that we had gotten a fundamentally huge rule wrong. Um, I never read the rule book. I trusted my friend who taught it to me. And we messed up something monumental when we were playing it. And we played, I don't remember how many hours total. I've said it on the podcast before, but it was somewhere between 15 and 20 hours worth of gameplay that we were slogging through because we got a movement rule wrong. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, like we were, it was basically impossible the way we were playing it. And I do still believe that I, from what I've heard from most people, it is still better with less players and we were playing it with four. But I think that we really ruined our experience just by getting the rules wrong. So I think for me personally, I am going to try going forward. If I'm getting into a game like that, where I know I'm going to be investing a lot of time, I think... I tend to be too trusting of other people's knowledge about the rules of the game. And I feel like after a first session of any game that I'm going to play multiple sessions of, I feel like I should look up the rule book and for my own knowledge, if nothing else, and look through it and not to like criticize people for getting rules wrong. I get rules wrong all the time. This is not a criticism of that happening, but I'm formulating opinions based on the rules of a game that I've never read. And that's, yeah, that's not necessarily fair. Mm-hmm. And I really do want to experience games the way they were intended. So at some point, I might come back to Seventh Continent. <laughs> I, I would have to borrow it from somebody because I'm probably not going to buy it. But I'm bummed that I potentially missed out on that game that everybody loved so much. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I didn't know you played the rule wrong. Yeah, I didn't uh, until just, I think, a few months ago. Like, wow. I was saying I didn't like it for a long, long, yeah, long yeah. time And then I don't remember who it was that was talking about the way movement works in the game. But I literally, like, wide-eyed. I was like, wait a second. Hold on. Talk to me. (laughs) Like, what are you saying right now? How does movement work? And it was very, very different than the way we played it. So, yeah. 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 That's a bummer. It is a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, also, like, who you play it with can affect a first impression. Because if you're playing it with a group of friends for me like I enjoy playing games with groups of friends no matter what the game is most of the time so I might have a really good first impression of a game that's not something I would like otherwise if it's just like with my close friends just because I'm having a good time with my close friends and vice versa there could be like a good game that I'm playing with strangers that maybe I don't like the way they play or they're taking a long time or something and then I don't have as good of a time. I would agree completely. I've actually, it's funny, people always say, you know, are there certain games that you would never play? And at this point, I don't think I would ever say I will never play X game Mm -hmm. that I haven't played before, only because I think there are ways, there are situations in which I would play almost any game. And I think the best example for me would be a game like Diplomacy. I really, truly have no (laughs) desire to play Diplomacy. (laughs) But if you told me that it was going to be like a group of all of the coolest people that I love hanging out with, like maybe like the Murph brothers and like Z Garcia and Kiki Mm. and Paula and like really fun, enjoyable, friendly people that I know well. And you were like, we're going to sit in a room for eight hours and we're going to play diplomacy and we're going to have some fun with it. Like, I think I might enjoy that experience. So I can't Mm. say, no, I will never play diplomacy. Am I likely going to? No, probably not. It's like, unless somebody really wants to put together a bunch of people that I happen to love in a room, it's not happening. But yeah, the people you play with is important. I say that I hate the game Concordia. And that's because the person who taught it, he, he taught the rules correctly. But this person is someone that I do not enjoy playing games with. And I didn't know him well at this point. But he is a very antagonistic person. He's a very aggressive person in games and he did not teach the game the way that I would have wanted to be taught so I keep saying I hate Concordia but that's only because 
it was taught to me poorly. So, and everybody loves Concordia, but at least I've, I've admitted that multiple times. I've said <laughs> yeah. in this podcast a bunch that I'm pretty sure my opinions of Concordia are skewed, but I still don't want to go back to it. So, like, yeah. he ruined Concordia for me. <laughs> yeah. But I guess for us personally, it doesn't matter too much because there's so many other games. Like, I played Concordia. It's it's fine. <laughs> but a lot like of people so really games. love it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but there's so many other games that you really love, right? So That's true. That's what, I think that that's what's tough and also good about this is like, let's say I never come back to Seventh Continent again. There are plenty of games that I love that I can play all day, yeah. every day. I'm not running out of games to play that I love that I've already played or get new games are coming out. But I also, there's that little voice in the back of my head that's like, some maybe something would have been your favorite game or you would have mm. really truly loved it had it been taught to you better or had the experience been better um like castell is my favorite game from 2018 is part of the reason why i love castell because it was taught to me by its designer so i learned it the best way possible probably i mean i think it's a legitimately amazing solid game but what if I had been, what if I had learned it from the rule book? What if I had been taught it by somebody else? It might not have struck me quite so heavily in a good way if what the way it was taught to me didn't happen. So it's But then I think if it was just because of the designer, like that's why you had a good impression of it, then it would fade over time after like multiple plays, right? But, well, I think, like, my intense love for it uh-huh. was spurred on by the fact that the first game went so well. But yeah, the game does hold up for yeah. sure. Like, I'm just thinking, like, if it, if I had learned it a different way, mm-hmm. I might not have developed the same love for it. Yeah. Like, I might have I might have spurned it earlier, like, said, I don't like this game, and not mm-hmm. realized how wonderful it was if okay. the experience, the first experience wasn't as good. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you can't you can't test that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you can't really that's it's hard to say. Like would I have liked Concordia? We'll never know. <laughs> well, that that's why you would try it again, I guess. But... I guess at some point I'll stop talking about it and actually do it. <laughs> so what can we do to lessen So it it kind of feels like negative first impressions should be taken with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. right? Especially if it's coming from somebody else. If somebody is saying, oh, I played that game once, it's horrible. Maybe don't necessarily take that opinion and bring it into your own head and digest it in a way that makes it that you don't ever want to play the thing. Yes, there are tons of games. No, you do not have to play all of them. But <laughs> I think it is important to keep an open mind about things. And uh, I think that's how we grow as people and how we can discover new things that we love that maybe we weren't uh, aware of before. Mm-hmm. For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word opinion. The English noun opinion, meaning a judgment formed or a conclusion reached, especially one based on evidence that does not produce knowledge or certainty, originated in the early 14th century. It can be traced back to a word of the same spelling from 12th century Old French that meant opinion, view, or judgments founded upon probabilities. That word came from the Latin opinionem or opinio, 
which had definitions that were very similar, but also were used to indicate appreciation or esteem. They were also related to the word opinari, which meant think, judge, suppose, or opine. The Proto-Indo-European root at the core of all of those words, op, spelled O-P, literally meant to choose. Opinion has a pretty interesting history. At least that's my opinion. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Draw Your Own Conclusions is available now. Whether you're a creative person or not, this game is great because it forces you to draw within constraints that make you think outside the box. Grab a copy at your friendly local game store or at greyfoxgames.com. Grey Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. We need more reviews on iTunes. Please take a few moments to rate and review us on your podcast provider. You can also support the show directly. For as little as $1 a month, you can listen to unedited episodes and join our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzkiteers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgamelist to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, we play a Euro game, we play a party game, we play a heavy game, we play a story game. We play the games that remind us of the good times. We play the games that remind us of the better times. Bye, everyone. Bye. One quick episode. One quick episode before. <laughs> one quick episode before our episode. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I had a brain fart. <laughs> Evening recording. something and I forgot what I was thinking. <laughs> Let's you chat with us and other Blitzkiteers dur- <laughs> directly. <laughs> the unedited episodes and join our pl- pre- <laughs> <laughs> Yay, evening recording sessions. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I feel like I'm more awake in the evening than oh, in the morning, but maybe I'm not. not. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a morning person. Head to patreon.com slash... <laughs> I don't even know what happened there. I don't know. It's like slurred together. Patreon.com. Head to patreon.com slash board game list to become a patron today. Phew. Okay. Next paragraph. It's time for the alliteration puzzle. Last episode, we asked you to retheme a game about classic movie monsters for large African herbivores who really want to eat, like, right now. What game was that, Ambie? That was Hungry Hippo Horrified, or Hungry Hungry Hippo Horrified. I mean, the, the extra hungry counts, I feel, in this instance. <laughs> All right, this episode, we want you to retheme a card-driven game set in Roman times for irritated sea animals whose legs people like to eat. Good luck, everyone.